All right, everybody. Let's go ahead and get started. Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us to get into your word to better understand and implement strategies and systems to better guard our hearts, Father, because you said out of it flows the issues of life. And so, Father, we it is our responsibility uh, um, to guard it and to ensure that we don't have anything in there uh, rooting itself that will cause uh, more issues in our lives. So, Father, I pray that you continuously help us as we navigate the spiritual warfare. With that being said, I come against every demonic spirit, everything that may try to war against myself, these young people, any type of retaliation against my family. I counsel every plot and scheme as I engage in warfare. And Father, I thank you so much for the authority, and we appreciate you allowing ourselves to be aligned with, with, with your name and your power. And for that, we thank you. And just name, we do pray. Amen. Uh, for those who are new, uh, we've been talking about uh, spiritual warfare, uh, man, for about 10 weeks or so. And, and I think it's important um, because oftentimes uh, we forget that the earthly experience that we're having is only the surface of what we really experience. Because in our truest selves, we're spirits. Our bodies is just organs, flesh. Our soul is just a, a, a middle layer, but we're really spiritual people having an earthly experience. And for us to really maximize in this earthly experience, we must understand who we are as spiritual beings and knowing that the enemy is warring through our flesh, through our souls to, to stifle and suffocate uh, what your spirit person was meant to do. And so spiritual warfare is important because whether you believe it or not, nobody's on the sidelines, nobody's in the stands. Each and every one of you all are in this game called life. And based upon your mindset and your understanding and willingness to engage and determine the success that you have. And so uh, we're at the part of Ephesians 6 where we're talking about the breastplate. Did anybody uh, remember anything we said last two or three weeks that they want to say, hey, this is what I got when we talked about the breastplate? Yes, sir. That's right. That's good. Yeah. Anybody else? Breastplate. In in conjunction to righteousness. We talked about like this spiritual armor that we're talking about is is metaphorical to a degree, but it's actually tangible. And this breastplate of righteousness, what causes us to open ourselves up um, to things that shouldn't have our hearts. It's because we haven't given God our heart, right? And so when we know that we're legally in right standing before God, then I don't have to worry about allowing myself to be sunken into condemnation, shame, or guilt. What are some negative outcomes of a person that's basking or settled in condemnation, guilt, or shame? What are some negative outcomes of a person that says, you know what, I don't even know where I'm at with God. I don't even know if God loves me, but this condemnation got me doing X, Y, Z. What are some of those consequences of staying in a condemned state? Yes. Um, instead of seeking ways to come out of it, you just kind of sit in it and don't look to improve in any way because you're not sure how to approach getting yeah. out or not really willing to put in the work because you don't feel as though you can't. And what are some of the dangers? Good. What are some of the dangers of stagnation in that state? Oh, well, I mean, you're probably already not growing, but at that point, you're going to decrease mm-hmm. or deplete anything that you have grown in. That's good. You start to doubt it. You start to doubt it. Anybody else on that, on that vein? The dangers of stagnation, not understanding, because we talked about a few weeks back how 
if we do not understand legalities and what it means to be in right standing before God, then it's going to cause his children to fall into a state of shame, guilt and condemnation, which will then add even more sins to the equation. And so that's why it's important, because a lot of you all are going to face traumas, dramas, you're going to face situations that's going to really wound you emotionally. And if you're not equipped and prepared intellectually or just uh, from a basic standpoint of knowing who you are in Christ, then those uh, breakups, those heartbreaks, those disappointments, those those trials, those those betrayals, all those different things are going to wound you deeply. And if you don't know who you are in Christ and what was legally uh, exchanged for, just like when they say in the NBA, uh, this team has the rights to now this person's image. So when a person is traded to Sacramento or a person is traded to Cleveland, that team now has the rights of that person's image. And so when you understand that with God, that you have been drafted, that God selected you with the first pick in, in, in salvation draft, then you'll realize, yo, I come with benefits. This comes with something. And when you know that, then when you fall in, into sin or you find yourself in a situation where you feel like God doesn't love me, something quickens in you and lets you know, no, you're illegally in right standing before God. Now, you may not be living righteously. But you are in a righteous state before God, which then gives you access to benefits that lets you know, hey, don't stay in a sunken place. Don't stay condemned long. On average, how long does a person stay in condemnation when they sin? Just from your personal experience or just from what you want to say, like when a person does X, this is the outcome. They end up staying in that state for, for on average. How long do you think? Yes. Uh, this is a personal thing. I understand. Uh, yeah. Chester made that clear. I feel you. I feel you. I say for me, me for just like it's ten. I think two weeks for just. And and what could be robbed from your life in two weeks if you stay in that state of mind? Just depression, just doing all just basically what uh, worldly people do with like emotions. Mm -hmm. So if I keep saying that sin that much, I'm gonna be just like them. So yeah. If I don't change, I'm gonna be like them. That's good. Anybody else? He says two weeks, two weeks, a lot can be robbed from you. So you see the satanic strategy of did God really say, does God really love you? Uh, God has turned his back on you. God doesn't want to use you for anything. How many of us had that, those thoughts in our minds? A lot of us have to the point to where we're like, man, man, am I even worthy? Am I even accepted? And then when you are, are disconnected from how God views you, now you're really open demonically. Now you have no breastplate of righteousness. Now you have no state of mind where it says, no, I am legally in righteousness for God. Therefore, I have access to what God has. And so that's paramount to understand because imagine going to battle with a helmet, shoes with traction. You have a weapon, but your heart's wide open. Imagine. I want you to visualize your life right now. And I want you to examine your head, your heart, your every area that has weapons or or uh, protection and ask yourself what areas of your life metaphorically are vulnerable. How many of us have the helmet of salvation on? How many of us have a breast don't have the breastplate of righteousness? And the enemy is only going to attack the areas that's not guarded. 
And so what area are you? Are you mentally easily triggered? Are you emotionally easily triggered? Do you find your feet wandering everywhere? Are you more problematic than a peacemaker? Do you even know the word of God enough to shoot down demons? Like I tell people all the time, uh, uh, bullets, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, like chokeholds, no matter what wrestling move, weaponry you have, those don't defeat demons. The word of God does. And when we understand that, then we'll say, man, I'm vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, what else is vulnerable? If the enemy can get access to you, what else can he get access to? Family, your life, people connected. So, for instance, I have to be on guard. Now, you're like, man, instead of saying, I ain't married or nothing, but cool. But right now, if you're not married, do you know your kids are vulnerable now? Your unborn kids are vulnerable based upon the habits you do right now, based upon how you think, based upon the habits you have in your life. They're vulnerable. Like, I have to always assess what is coming through the Nigerian lineage of my life. Like, what is coming through that's going to affect my, my daughter? What's going to affect my wife? I have to always be on guard because when you're not on guard, for instance, Gideon, when he brought the men to the water, what was the test? Yes. He said what now? And how, what was the two ways the soldiers uh, drunk the water or drank the water? And the ones that brought it to their face, they was doing what else when they brought it to their face? Being alert. And so through that, we see God says or shows that people who in moments of refreshment ignore guarding themselves are vulnerable. God cut them out of the army because he was like, at any given moment that you want to be refreshed, whether it's mentally, emotionally, sexually, physically, and you don't have your head on a swivel. For instance, I don't know, if, uh, was it Kaba? I don't know who got me one time. Who, who dunked on me? And my head went on a swivel. I don't know if it was Kaba or James. Somebody got me. Who was it? It wasn't Miles. Miles tried to get me. Um, it was Cayman? We'll take it. So Cayman, came, Cayman went baseline. Man, it wasn't Cayman, but just, we'll use Cayman. So what I was saying was, because, the, no, it was... It was you, James, for P. James was trying to be modest. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. James was like, it was me. I caught that body. But anyway, we was outside for P.E. Justin gave someone a tween-tween behind the back. I came, I said, man, I was, I was caught between either, you know, helping. And then when I helped, he threw the alley to James. It was too late. How many of us <laughs> heads are not on a swivel? And we're getting punched on. We on posters. We on ESPN. Everyone's seeing that we've been posterized because we're not guarding. Right. And that's important to be in a place where we say, you know what? Hey, oh, baseline. You know, when they say in basketball, we got to communicate like man cutting through like like we got to make sure our heads on a swivel because that sets up a greater defense stra defensive strategy. Uh, but so when we understand that, we'll say, OK, I got to better guard my life now. We're going to kind of scroll down and kind of talk about five things. And next week, we'll talk about how to guard your heart, depending on what time we have. We're going to talk about five things, H-E-A-R-T, that you should never give access to your heart. That the legal transaction, the transformative process of God's righteousness will help guard against these five things. We're going to discuss it, okay? Here are five things you should never give access to your heart that the righteousness of God will protect if you allow it. H, if you can guess it, we'll see if we can guess. What do you think the H is? Del, huh? Uh, what, what we should allow, yeah. 
What you think? Your head. No. Health? Well, that, no. Health? What is one, what do, we, what do you think the H is that we should never give access to our heart? Hey, girl. He said it. Came in too. No, no. That that went in and out. Came. It was it was our brother back there. So hatred. Now, since you said hatred, why shouldn't we give hatred access to our heart? Mm-hmm. What we what are some of those negative things? Outcomes. Go ahead, King. Those are good. Now, let me ask you this question. Anybody can chime in. I'm asking this question. How, in what ways does hatred even gain access to a heart? What are some scenarios or ways that hatred be like, let me in there? Yes, sir. And you just like, man, I hate you. Mama, daddy, uncle, niece, brother. You know, that kind of thing. Did you have your hand up? Yes. Uh, sometimes it can just come from the small act. Um, it could just be someone did something and you detest that thing. And then after a while, it continues to bother you because you see that person, you associate yep. that person with that thing or whatever the situation may be. It's like, okay, now I hate it. Yep. The number one thing that opens and those things are in this thing is offense. Someone define what an offense is. What's an offense? Uh, they're trying to say like in the direct, the direct way that like um, like some happened, no offense. But, you know, some offense. I got you. I got you. It's kind of like in the direct, direct way though. So you're saying? Okay, I see what you're saying. Anybody else? Yes. And offense is a either personal or community violation. That people well, have all voted on and find to be in a way that is disrespectful to others. And that's better than the original definition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna call dictionary.com up and say we need to put that. So that's that's good. Now break that down for us. <laughs> it's not the Western So it's a violation. It's a violation of what? Um, it, it could be of morals. It could be of beliefs. Um, Standards, whatever, whatever you, you put importance on, it could be a violation of those things. Like, you know, you could be in a different table and someone violates etiquette. That's an offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to offenses, it varies between different people because it's like an opinion. Yeah. So some part, somebody might be offended by one thing and another person might be like, okay, well, I don't care. So it's, it's kind of a sensitive topic on that one. Yeah. And how does being offended hinder you from being on the offense? Most people think when you're offended, you have your because you're always expecting your opponent to do something, even if they're not going to do it. So in that, you're just like, well, I know that they're always going to do it, so I really don't have to worry about it. But like, your guard's never going to truly be up or down, really. It, it's pretty much, you're in an in-between state of like, I don't like what they're going to do. You know they're going to do it, mm-hmm. but you still let it bother you. Yep. Regardless of if they do it or not. And if they don't do it, you're disappointed. But if they do it, you're disappointed as well. It's, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Like, because oftentimes, 
to alleviate hatred, man, see, I, I, we need to switch chairs. To alleviate hatred, right? We have to get to a place where we are not easily bothered. Because whether you like it or not, someone's going to try you. Someone's going to offend you. Mama going to say something. Daddy going to say something. And if you're anticipating it, you get dual disappointment. Because now you're like, I expected it. So now you, I'm not worthy enough for you to offend me. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, now, oh, you offend me now. Now I can validate my, my anticipation of offense. But if we're not careful, then offense will keep us from going on the offense, right? So what happened? We've seen NBA games. We have basketball players here where a LeBron James or someone is offended because the referee didn't make a call. And they were arguing with the referee and the play was still going on. What tends to happen in those kind of scenarios? Technical foul. What else? Now it's five on four. Now I put my team at a deficit because I want to argue with the ref. And so what happens is if we understand that this is part of the game of life, that people are going to try to offend you, that people are going to try uh, or the enemy is going to try to use people to open up that door of hatred, then you got to say, I'm not going to let hatred into my heart. Because if I let hatred into my heart, the Bible says, now, for instance, I give this example. If, if I go into my kitchen right now, I have all the ingredients to make pancakes. What are some of the ingredients to make pancakes? Flour, Flour butter, 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 eggs, butter, oil, eggs, oil sugar, 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 milk, cinnamon. cinnamon. Oh, you said what now? Vanilla, vanilla extract. Yep. Now, just because now those ingredients can also make other stuff, right? But just because I have those ingredients, do, does that mean I'm going to make pancakes? No. So what hatred says, that's why Jesus says, if you even harbor hatred towards your brother, you've already murdered him already. The Bible says when a man looks at a woman or vice versa with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery, which means if you have the ingredients, you may not commit the act today, but maybe one day you're going to want some pancakes. So hatred says, if I continuously to harbor these things in my heart, who knows when I'm going to kill somebody? Who knows? So because I have all the ingredients to do so, all I need is a chef. All I need is some heat. All I need is a stove. And the moment a situation gets heated, now we cooking. And now hatred can open up to where I murder somebody. That's why for me, I had to really guard my heart because back in high school, I wasn't the most celebrated athlete. Like I was the Christian character guy, the guy that takes charges, uh, rebounds, take all the, all the dirty work, right? And so that wasn't celebrated. I'm sacrificing my body. I'm on the ground sliding. The ref called it block, and I'm cussing the ref out because I'm like, no, ref, that's a charge. Yeah, I grabbed the, I grabbed the ref by the shirt one time like, like because I grew up without a dad, and I didn't have that fatherly validation. And now I was looking for validation from coaches. So I was sacrificing my body just for the coach to give me a thumbs up. So now when I got older and I never dealt with that issue. Now when I'm playing basketball, I'm at elite levels of competitiveness that I shouldn't be at. Then now when that dude, when at the YMCA called me a B-A-N, you can fill in the words, I about killed that man in the gym. They had to pull me off of him. We're talking about this wasn't when Mr. Ezzy was 23. This was 30-year-old Mr. Ezzy. This, this, wasn't, this wasn't 
So I had to realize, yo, I got some ingredients. <laughs> I got some organic, gluten-free, hateful ingredients in my heart right now that I can give it to you organic. I can give it to you genetically modified. What I realized was, yo, I got I to gotta get these ingredients out of my heart. I have to deal with that issue. I thought I got over my dad. I probably I have gotten over him. But man, why am I seeking validation? Like, why am I so competitive and there ain't no shot to go into the league? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It ain't like I got scouts at the Y lined up talking about, hey, man, we need a 37-year-old. We need someone of LeBron's age. No. But, but you see how at any given moment when it gets heated, if there's ingredients, you will find yourself with a meal that you may not want to eat later. Now, what if, what if I beat that man up? Jail. I'll be in jail. Mr. Ed, we have one of the most prolific prison ministries of all time. You know what I'm saying? Revival in the prison house. You see what I'm saying? But that ain't the ministry I want. You know what I'm saying? No matter how. Anyway. So hatred. We cannot. Here's the point. It says hatred consumes the heart and poisons relationships. It breeds negativity. It destroys empathy. And it hinders the ability to love others unconditionally. So now hatred in my heart hinders how I love, will hinder how you love people in your life. Now people are getting beat up off of who beaten, who beat you up. Now you got all these people's words in your mind, in your heart, and it's affecting your future. What is some one person? Give me an example of how a person y'all's age holding hatred for 10 years and then how it can hinder or hurt a marriage or or a parenting type of situation. Yes, sir. Oh, well, let me get, let me get, she ain't, she ain't said that. Go ahead, let's go. That's right. That's right. And how can that have damaging effects to a good person that wants to be with you? And then what happens when that person who loves you harbors feelings of not being appreciated? What then sets them up to do? Mm-mm. Then when they go find somebody else, what didn't happen? Now it's it's see what I'm saying. So now if I don't get rid of that hatred, and y'all may be like, Miss Desi, I ain't got no wife, no husband, no kids. How many of y'all desire that though? Who wants a family at least? I'll just say that. Everybody wants a family. So right now, what you harbor in your heart will determine how you sell in your relationships. And so if you don't deal with that hatred, somebody's going to be punished and it's going to be the person that didn't even punch you. Let's go to the next point. Uh, who can guess the E? We'll do that. How can we guess? The, what, what do you think the E is? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. What was that? Uh, not evil. Uh-uh. I thought you said it, though. It's close. What did you say? Came in ready for that, that ball to swing over there. Came in, she said evil. Think about it. It's in, the li- it's in the lines of pride. Ego. ego. Yeah, ego. Almost came in. Ego. Now, why shouldn't we allow ego to get to... Go ahead, Chester. <laughs> um, I've heard some experience. This is not good. You do not want to do this. Um, gotcha. Um, okay, Chester. Deliverance. Jack, you get jacked, ego, you think you're better than everybody, that means you like you. 
you him. Like you okay. trying to <laughs> you're trying to be somebody that you're not and mm -hmm. God can play it, see you down and mm -hmm. say, No, get it correct. Get it correct. And how and how can ego get to a person's heart and then man blow up? Yes. Um, when your ego comes into play, sometimes or oftentimes you become a self-independent prick. Just to put it lightly. Um, so with that being said, you act like you don't need anybody. Mm -hmm. You're kind of all in yourself and you set yourself up for disappointment a lot quicker actually because right. if things don't go your way, they don't go your way and then there's a problem. And there's going to come a time where things won't go your way. Right? Any, did you have the answer? Oh, gosh. Anybody else on ego? Before I share my point. Ego. Now, how... We all been around people who are feeling themselves. They, they think they're him, but they're not him. They think they're her, but they're not really her. Because in order to be him or her, you have to be humble. Like people who people who are really that's why they say insecurities are loud. Confidence is silent. I always say this when I talk about it. if you hear them before you see them, don't trust them because they want to use what they advertise to make themselves bigger than what they really can provide. But someone who's quietly confident. Comes into a room, they say, before you speak in a room, hear the room. Because the people who speak later have more and better things to say than the people who speak first. How many of us, we know people that as soon as they walk in the room, they got, they just boop, 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 they just talking. That's a sign of insecurity. Now, now that may be you extrovert. I'm not, I'm trying to separate it. I'm not sitting there saying all extroverted people People coming, but what I'm saying, you, we know the residue of a person who's full of ego. We know where they like, oh, he's feeling himself, she's feeling himself, right? And so, what's, what, what causes that ego is when we realize I'm, I'm not anchored in God. Like, like, he's the one deserving to be egotistical, but he's not. He's the one that created everything, and even in the midst of my sins, still let me get and live, and, 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 and I have the audacity to act as if I'm somebody outside of him. Because one thing about God, it says, man, those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those, no, hold on, those, yeah, but those who do not, they're going to be humbled. Now, you choose what side of the spectrum your heart leans. Either you rush to humble yourself, or you're going to be rushed to being humiliated. Humiliation and humility are the same category, but they have different consequences. When you humble yourself, you have a perspective that says, I heart, yep, I dropped 40, 10, and 5, but to God be the glory. Yep, I just made this amount of money, my business is booming, but to God be the glory. It's keeping my heart at a level that says, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how pretty you are, no matter how handsome you are, you still had to borrow God's air to do it. <laughs> what if God charged us a penny for every breath we took? Can someone, I think there's 200, there's 200 certain thousand breaths we breathe a day. So 200,000, well, we ain't gonna do no math because the math ain't my strong suit. Whatever that number is, that's how much we owe God a day if he charges for breathing. 
And it, I'm so glad he don't charge us for error because some of us will be holding our breath. We're like, hold on, God, I don't got it. <laughs> and then if you hold your breath, you do what? Die. And so if we know that God is that guy that says, you know, I'm going to keep you breathing, even though you sinning, even though you winning, and you still want to act like you don't need me. When that ego gets to the heart and inflates it, anything inflated beyond its uh, true capacity will explode. So I have to say, you know what? Do I have systems in place to guard my heart when I win? Because when you climb the high heights, if you fall, what happens? You have a higher probability of getting what? Man. <laughs> All right. That's true. <laughs> Death. I was going to say injured, but <laughs> Cayman really took us to a place right now. We're going we're gonna to stay with death. So if, <laughs> so if we, all right, Cayman. So if we, if we fall from a high place, death is a probability. What's the lowest place you can be with the least amount of injury? What's the greatest position that you can be? Say it again. The ground. The ground. But what do we do with the ground when typically? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I know it's about to be so corny. Pray. When you on your, most of us, I'm giving imagery. Most of us, we don't pray on our knees, right? But the lower you are, prayer is a humbling thing. Like prayer says, how many times have we gone periods without prayer? And it's because we're focused on our ego. Like, I don't need to talk to God about this because I'm, I'm just good at this. I don't need to talk to God about that because because whatever. Prayer is like, even though I'm winning, I still got to pray. I got to get as low as possible. If you if you on your knees praying, you fall to left, you ain't going to get hurt. The lower you are, the less likely you're going to be hurt. The higher you take yourself, the more likely you're going to get hurt. So if you exalt yourself, there's no one to catch you when you fall. If God exalts you, you don't even have to worry about falling. The Bible says people are humble. They hide themselves under the mighty hand of God. And in a, in a proper season, a due season, he'll elevate them. So now when God, and that's why people get mad at God, because God's like, stay up under my hand. And we like, man, we're trying to get around the thumb. We're trying to juke, juke the one finger to go out the back way. And God's like, no, stay up under my hand. His hand like this does what? Covers you, Right? So when you understand that God's like, even though you want to take your to, I got to keep you here because when I take you here, if so imagine if you try to run out of God's hands, you're going to be the same one's going to try to run off of God's hands when he elevates you. And if you're not settled with his hand un over you, you won't be still when his hand is up under you. So what happens when you're like this and you're trying to run and then you say, God, elevate me the same Dip God, this ain't high enough. So you gonna jump off his pinky? You, that's why God said, man, I, I gotta create a level of stillness in you, a level of trust in you, a level of humility in you that so that when you're up, you won't be on the edge of my fingers, you'll be in the palm of my hand. And so when we understand humility, we gotta say, hey man, I, I rather just say, you know what, to God be the glory. I've been tempted, we've all been tempted to be to fill ourselves, to be egotistical, not egotistical, that's extreme, but to start in that direction. But no matter how far you go in that direction, if you don't have God's protection, then my friend, trouble's imminent. And so ego, we can't let it get to our heart. And so the moment you start feeling yourself, you're like, all right, man, you ain't that good. 
You're not as, you never as good as they say you are, and you never as bad as they say you are. You got to have a right perspective about yourself and realize, yo, if I am dope, if I am the GOAT in my industry, if I am the best in the world, that's why, and, and I'm going to take this left turn because it's a great analogy. When you, to me, when you look at Michael Jordan and LeBron James, every time Michael Jordan was even in conversations where people was trying to GOAT him, he had respect for the people before him. He never said he was the GOAT. That's why Michael Jordan, no matter what happens, he will have a, a, a greater impact than LeBron because LeBron says, I'm the GOAT. When they booed him at the Super Bowl, whatever event that was, he crowns himself. So a person that, do, that does those antics are not, as, is not, are not as, what I'm trying to say, confident as they come off, right? And so... That's why you will see there's a more prestigiousness about Michael than there is about LeBron. And there's no knock on LeBron. I think LeBron's a great athlete, but that's the effect of fatherlessness. Because Michael had a father, LeBron didn't. And so now LeBron, who may maybe not have dealt with his father issues, is now looking for validation. I didn't mean to go that deep. But it shows you, you see the difference because now you're like, yo, look, Jordan has the right. To say, hey, I am a goat. I am the greatest. But man, he said his mom helped him with that humility. His dad. And so God has said, man, let me, despite what you had or didn't have, let me keep you humble. Because if not, you'll fumble. It says ego, excessive pride and self-centeredness hinders genuine connections with others and creates a barrier to personal growth. It fosters a sense of superiority making it difficult to receive feedback and learn from others. Because one thing the Bible says, consider the ant. Now, if you're too proud to consider the littlest animal, insect of, of, in, in, in the animal kingdom, then who's, who can ever help you? You and I must always say, I can learn from anybody. And when you have that state of mind, you will always grow. Um, y'all want one more? Y'all, we're, we're good. One more. What do you think the A is? What should we not give access to our hearts? Starts with A. Attitude. <laughs> Attitude. No, no, not that one. Anger. Uh-uh, not anger. Anger. Nah. Arrogant. Nope. <laughs> you said it with your chest, though. <laughs> I'm <telling> you. <laughs> Next letter. A. It's still, it's still an A. Oh, we can't skip A because it's hard. H-E-A-R-T. Ah, that's easy if I get... Hold on. Let me see. N. Anarchy. <laughs> Don't let anarchy to your heart. I understand. Anxiety, yes. Anxiety. Thank you, Debbie. Appreciate it. I can always get that. Swing that ball to you, girl. I know you. Anxiety. Now, why should we allow anxiety in our hearts? Worry, stress, anxiousness. We can start here. How does it get to our heart? Hold on. What was my first question about the two? Okay, we'll start here. Why shouldn't we give anxiety access to our hearts? And then we'll talk about how anxiety gets to our hearts. It consumes your life. It consumes, and in what ways?
that's correct. So true. Because, oh, I lost my notes. So, yeah. So now the Bible says how if you can't even add an inch to your height, if you can't even add an extra day to your life with worry, then why worry? Anxiety has a way of just saying, I'm afraid of possible danger. Now, what's the difference between fear and anxiety? Yes. Fear is just something that you're afraid of. Anxiety, you said fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, anxiety is just like what she said, it's just, you know, you're like kind of worried but not fear. So it's kind of two, two different things. Mm-hmm. So fear is imminent, like in front of me danger. Like, a spider comes out of nowhere and you got a phobia of spiders, you out, boom, you gone. A snake comes in here, you got a fear of snakes, it's present. Anxiety is, say it again. It's irrational. It's, it's not something that's actually in the actual. It's not in the moment, right? So now, anxiety says, I'm worrying about something that may or may not happen. And it hinders you from making things happen. So imagine if you're just sitting there and your heart is just filled with anxiety. You can't add no life to your life. You can't add another hour to your life. You can't add, like, worrying ain't going to make me six, eight. You know what I'm saying? Like, worrying ain't going to make me richer. Worrying ain't going to make me whatever. Because it may or may not happen. And when you allow anxiety into your heart, now all of a sudden, man, you can't really be anchored in anything. Because now you're anxious. And when you're anxious... Now you really can't even be successful at what you want. So it's better to say, you know, what? if it happens, cool. If it doesn't happen, cool. That's a perspective. Like, for instance, I can't imagine me. I remember when I was uh, my wife, not my wife, but my mom was uh, teaching me how to drive. And I was cool on the side roads. I was like, we good. We had, my mom, my mom was so gang. She was like, we had a stick shift. That's all we got. <laughs> so you're going to learn how to drive. This stick shift. <laughs> I said, man, you throwing me to the... But anyway, I remember, you know that um, part of... I'll, maybe y'all... Because some of y'all don't drive yet. But there's there's two, uh, 277. I think there's the... Um, you you venture onto 277 from Davidson Street. or Not Davidson, but uh, where Graham Street is. It's over there by the downtown. And so we was driving on regular roads, and I was cool. Until my mom said, go and get on that highway. I said, what you, what you talking? Well, on the highway. This might be the highway to hell. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> this might not be where I want to go. You know what I'm saying? But because in my mind, I was like, man, I, I, I might get in an accident. Now, and, now, how many people, we know aunts, uncles, grandmas, granddad, who said, who never learned how to drive because of fear of, of a possible accident or an anxiety of possible accident? How many people saying because I saw I heard a documentary or saw a documentary of planes falling and now all of a sudden I don't ever want to fly again. <laughs> now you shorten or shrink your discovery, your exploration because of anxiety. And so anxiety has a way of saying, you know what, because there's possible danger, don't be dangerous. When you're dangerous, I ain't talking about like evil. Day. I'm talking about. Dangerous to the devil's kingdom, like, like you ain't afraid of nothing. Like, 
Like, like you don't have anxiety about anything. Now you have a brave heart. You know what I'm saying? Now you have a heart that says, hey, God, I'll go wherever because I know you're my protector. But anxiety has a way of really affecting your life. Now, in what ways does anxiety get access to a heart? Worry, stress. How does it how does it knock on the door to get you to open it and, and sell you life insurance? <laughs> And, and how does that cause anxiety to get in someone's life, other people's circumstances? Because the thought that anything can happen to you at any time, it can happen to them, you can be dead. Listen, I love that scripture. It says a thousand may fall at my left, 10,000 at my right hand, but it won't come to me. So when they, when they start talking about nuclear bombs and wars and rumors of wars and, and, and I'm in the proximity of my purpose and I'm in the peak of my purpose, why be afraid? Because even though, like, for instance, if someone dies, I used to get excited like that because at my age, when you get my age, you start asking people's ages when they die. <laughs> when you start seeing, like, uh, uh, pictures of someone, a young person dying at my age, you look about 30, how do he die? <laughs> Hold on, what, what happened to him? Because now you're like, ho, ho. Because right now, if a 60-year-old, if a 75-year-old person die, is that going to really affect you as a young person? You can be like, man, he old. She old. But if you find that someone 18 died, Somebody 15 died and, and it was something that could possibly happen to you. You on the edge of your seat. Like, hold on, how bro died? Rest in peace. But I want to find out how he rested in peace. Like, how do you get there? Nah. But imagine being imprisoned with that anxiety. Now you actually taking life off your life. One thing anxiety is going to do, it's going to take life off of your life. Whether literally or figuratively, life is going to be taken. So either way, it's best to say, you know what? I ain't going to worry about that. And I got to make sure my heart is anchored in God as my source, as my provider. I got to be anchored. If not, anxiety will get to your heart so quick. You don't even know when anxiety. That's why you don't know when it's going to hit you. And that's why you got to always be like, yo, keep my heart anchored. Trust the Lord with all my heart. Lean not to my own understandings. And all my ways acknowledge him and my path will be made straight. Like, I got to always make sure I anchor because what if he leaves you? What if she leaves you? What if mama dies? What if daddy dies? Like, like what, if, what if your best friend dies? Like, like, what if something tragically happened and your heart's not anchored? Anxiety going to creep in. Now you're going to be questioning everything. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be all over the place because your heart's not anchored. Don't get me wrong. Now, if something bad happened, you a human. But don't let the enemy rob months off your life, years off your life, because you allow anxiety to be normalcy, normalcy or normal in your heart. It says anxiety, allowing anxiety to take hold of your heart causes unnecessary stress and robs you of inner peace. It hampers decision making, disrupts relationships and inhibits your ability to trust in God's plan. And so now you don't got married, you don't got a family. And now because you didn't heal from what this person did to you now, if a person even does anything within, like, for instance, the guy that cheated on you or the girl that cheated on you, she loved barbecue chips. And now when your, boy, when your man come home with barbecue chips, now you get anxious. Oh, that's what Tyrone ate. Oh, snap. <laughs> that's, that's where Kelly, Kelly loved them, uh, <laughs> them uh, jalapeno chips. Oh, it's over. <laughs> this ain't going to work. And the man just had chips. But because someone that you hurt you liked the same chips, now you think it's the same type of person. But you'll be surprised the people I talk to 
coach, you'll be surprised. They'll be ready to they'll be ready to have slide divorce papers over off of us. Minor thing. Just because he raised his voice this much don't mean he, like he just he just said stop. <laughs> he here scream at you. Oh, he said stop to me. Oh my gosh, Tyrone, you say stop. After he said stop, he also stumped you out. So <laughs> your man ain't stomping you out. He just said stop. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's enough for today. But uh, you gotta guard your heart. Okay. And we're going to talk about the R and the T next week. And then we're going to talk about how to guard your heart. Any questions, thoughts, any prayer requests? Because this might be a topic where some of y'all might be like, yo, man, I feel like punch someone out. Or I got anxiety. Or, or um, uh, what's my other letter? Um, I, got, I got pride issues. And I'm like, I need prayer. Or you just got some questions about that. This is the time and the space to do so. If not, y'all can kick it. Everybody good? If you need to talk to me after, I know it might be too much, but everybody watching, you can holler at me after after it's over. Everybody's good? All hearts, minds clear? All right, we're done.